We are in the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 11. And last week we uh, started a conversation that Jesus was having with um, some religious leaders, some people who were trying to, um, trying to limit Jesus' message, who are trying to present uh, some mistruths so that people don't listen to or uh, follow after Jesus. And so we're kind of jumping back in into that conversation. We'll be in uh, verse 33 to start. Uh, and the core message this week, and I just taught middle school uh, Sunday school, and it just happened to be this same passage, but in Matthew, uh, which I guess God's got something to say to me today. But the core message is that Jesus is warning the Pharisees to make sure that their internal, their heart, matches their external, their actions. And it's really easy today when we come to this passage and just look at the Pharisees and go, wow, what a bunch of terrible jokers. What a bunch of religious hobnobs. What a, what, those people are just so bad. And it'd be so easy today to come to this and not internalize this message for ourselves. Um, you're here on a Sunday morning. Most of you, I know your name. I know you where you live, I know your families, we are the religious. And it'd be real easy on a day like today to just go, wow, I can't believe there's people out there like that and not hear it for ourselves, okay? And so Jesus warns us today to look at our hearts. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 33, and we'll read all the way to 54. He says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at his table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, he doubles down, Woe to you, lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. 
So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Verse 50, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel, the first, to the blood of Zechariah, one of the last, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the truth in it. God, I thank you that you are a loving Father who uh, warns us uh, when we are out of line, who warns us when we are veering off the road that we should be on. God, you correct us lovingly. And so I pray this morning as we, we study these woes, these warnings, um, that we too, where we have veered off, that we would be corrected. We would come back uh, to the middle of the road, to the good way. God, that we would come back into fellowship with you. We would turn from that which leads to destruction, God, and we would turn back to you. And so we love you this morning, God. Please uh, use me and my words and help it to make sense, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Jesus is continuing a conversation um, last week where he is speaking to the hyper-religious uh, that, that have begun to turn on him. They're a part of the crowd, and they've begun to turn on him. And they're beginning to uh, dislike and even hate. And as we see at the end of this passage, they're looking for an opportunity uh, to take him out. Um, Jesus' point to them, and he's being very direct with them, Maybe more, I'm not a, I'm not a direct, uh, uh, some might, I don't know what the word is, uh, in your face communicator. I'm not going to tell you to your face if you're wrong. That's just not how God made me. We all have people in our lives, hopefully, that do. I don't mind telling us when we're wrong. And Jesus is that person right here. He's lovingly speaking the truth to them. He is calling them out to expose where they're wrong. But it's loving. He, it's not just, woe to you. He's not saying, uh, you're, you're doomed. You're, you're, nothing will ever change. He's not pronouncing judgment. He's warning them. He's calling them back, as a father does. And so he starts in verse 33, and he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Jesus is making a very obvious statement. In their day especially, you, you light a light to be lit. I don't know how to say that in some other fancy way. But the point of turning on the light, the point of lighting the match, is so that light would be cast. He says you don't cover it up. And, and, and Jesus is making a bigger point here. He is telling them that the light has been lit. I have, I, have, uh, I have done more than enough for you to see the truth. I've done more than enough uh, signs and wonders. I've done more than enough teaching. And the light is lit. And you're covering it up. You're not willing to see the truth. The light has been revealed. 
but their heart is far from them. John MacArthur said, their problem is not a lack of light, but a lack of sight. They are spiritually blind. It's not, a, it's not a lack of light, it's a lack of sight, and they are spiritually blind. They are not able to see. And he goes on, verse 34, to describe that. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Her eyes, if you, I, I pondered this this week for a minute, thinking, how do I see anything? Like, how does this work? How do I, I don't it's unbelievable. And we've had some people in our congregation that have had problems with their eyes recently. And, and, and to, to, to process, man, what would it even be like to be totally blind? I can't imagine living like that. And Jesus is saying, if your eye is healthy, you can see. And, but he's not talking about the physical. He's pointing them to the spiritual. He says that those who have had their eyes opened have had their eyes turned on, for lack of a better word. They can see the truth. But those whose eyes are closed, are blind, are unable to see the truth. He's saying no matter what I do, there's some of you who will not believe that I am the Messiah. They are rejecting him over and over because of their spiritual blindness. Look at verse 35. He says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What a weirdly worded verse with some really interesting imagery. But the point is the same. Jesus is saying, be careful of what's on the inside. Look at your heart. It's not about these externals. It's not about the religious actions. He's telling them, look in your heart. And we are so... All of us. I don't know if this is just American culture or if this is just human uh, practice and human DNA that we care about the externals. We care whether things are pretty, whether things are put together, whether, whether people are, are powerful and strong and fit. We, we care about the externals so much. And, and you can see it in our politics. We don't care about the heart. We don't care about someone's character. We just care, are they pretty on a stage when they give a speech? And Jesus is pointing out over and over and over again, be careful what's on the inside, what's in the heart. 2 Corinthians 4, and I don't have it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 4, he says it like this. He says, uh, starting in verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's saying some of us in this world are blind, spiritually blind, and we are unable to see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Unless God does something in our hearts who are spiritually blind, we are unable to see. Unless our eyes are opened, we are unable to see. And he finishes in verse 36. And he says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its ray gives you light. This is the goal, is that there would be no darkness, that there would be no blindness, that there would be no any of that. 
that our heart would be clean and then it would overflow into external actions. It would overflow into how God wants us to live in this world. But Jesus speaking to these Pharisees this day, he knows that they are spiritually blind. Their eyes do not see and their hearts are hard. They do not want to hear his message. And so he gives them what we call woes. Anybody ever pronounced a woe on anybody in here today? Well, you're gonna, we're going to learn how to pronounce. I'm just kidding. That's not what we're doing today. Jesus gives seven woes. And I think the better word for us that maybe makes more sense is warnings. He gives them some warnings. He's, he's course correcting. He's trying to bring them out of the ditch and back onto the road. He's trying to bring them back from the far land, back to home. He's trying to correct them. He's trying to warn them of some dangerous behavior. So let's look at each one. Starting in verse 37. Verse 37, it says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at his table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he, Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Now, remember, Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house. He's been invited to his house for dinner, and this is how he speaks to his host. (laughs) Jesus does not hold back. He's in this man's house, and he is going at him. Now, Jesus, I think, intentionally doesn't wash before the meal. So the Pharisees had these, these rituals where they did all sorts of washing of hands and feet and their body so that they would show everybody how clean they were. And, and it, was, it was a physical thing, but it represented their belief that was internal, their spiritual belief, that they had to continually wash themselves of the wicked that was inside of them. But it became more of a show. It became this this dance in front of their guests to show how religious they were, how, how right they were, how godly they were. And they would, if you did not do all of those things, then it shocked them. And Jesus walked into this house, and he did not do all the things. He didn't fit their standard of what they said was good. And so he uses this to pronounce this warning, right? Now, let's think about these woes. I mean, I I give woes or warnings all the time to my kids, right? They veer off all the time. And it is my job as a father to lovingly warn them of behavior that is not good, right? To correct them and to bring them back to where God wants them to be. And so I might say something like this to sweet little Hudson. I probably said it on the front pew this morning to him. Kind of had a bad attitude, right? Son, if you do not get a better attitude, then it's going to lead to other problems down the road. And you know what some of those problems are, okay? It's a warning, son. Your, your behavior is out of whack. You need to correct it. Uh, man, so many times 
We think of warnings as unloving, but it is the most loving thing we can do as a parent to warn our kids, no, don't go down that road. Don't, don't be friends with those people. Don't, don't, don't try that. Stay over here because we know that this is the good path. This is the good way. And if you veer over here, it's not going to go well. So Jesus is not just this judgmental guy just, just ready to stand on his soapbox and call everybody out on their sin. That's not what these are. He's lovingly warning these Pharisees of how they've wandered off the bad path and how they've veered from where God would have them. And so this first warning, he, he tells them, he uses this washing thing to talk about what they do. The first warning to them is to not just clean the outside, but also to clean the inside. They're so concerned with the appearance of things and how things come across, and and they've missed the heart of it. And it's specifically, and Jesus calls out their greed, greed, their desire for money, their desire for wealth, their desire for comfort. Their desire for what others have. And Jesus uses this picture of a dirty cup. And I, I, I gave a kind of graphic illustration this morning in the middle school life group that I won't give from the stage, uh, but it connected with them. So uh, Jesus uses this illustration of a dirty cup on the inside, but being clean on the outside. And it appears really good to everybody, but inside it's wicked and broke and filthy. It looks good from a certain perspective, but it doesn't lead to life. And Jesus is calling out their greed. He's calling out their greed. Now, one of the major ways we can tell, if you want to know what somebody loves, see what they spend their money on. You want to know what somebody really cares about, see what they spend their money on. Um, My wife, God love her, she's nervous right now because I'm talking about her. Uh... Sorry, this is what you signed up for. Uh, Maddie does not care about food. Maddie does not care about food at all. And so the thought of spending money on food to her is like, really? I got to spend $10 on a hamburger at Whataburger? Like that is the, she'd rather buy a box of rocks than spend $10 on food. Me, on the other hand, I don't care. I like food. I've confessed it many times from this pulpit. Uh, And I don't mind spending money on good food. I just don't. Now, I, on the other hand, do not care about pillows. Um, But my wife really, really values comfortable, homey, beautiful things. And I couldn't imagine spending $10 on a pillow, a decorative pillow. But Maddie, on the other hand, she loves that. And she cares about having a warm, well, I'm, I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to build you up. It's, it's not going well. We can tell what people love based on what they spend their money on, based on what we really want. And Jesus is calling them out because their money is an indicator of where their affections are. And he calls them out for their greed, their selfishness. So if what we should hear out of this is this, this morning, 
We are called to be generous. We are called to be sacrificial givers. We are called to to bless others with what we've been given. We're called to be faithful in that, regular in that. We talk about all kinds of things when it comes to our money. But our money is an indicator of where our heart is. If if we value our money so much that we will not help, oh man, and I'm talking to myself here then it shows that my affections are in the wrong place, that I'm more concerned with the externals, what's the number in my account, than I am with the need that's right in front of me. And Jesus' warning to them is to check what you love. Don't love money above other people. Don't don't love how other people view you more than you love serving them. He tells us to give freely because we've been given freely too. Look at verse 42. Second woe, second warning. He says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the, er- the others. The second uh, warning to the Pharisees, yeah, it kind of is in a similar vein as, as money previously. But it's really an emphasis on the little things and a lack of emphasis on the big things. I've heard other preachers say that we should major on the majors and minor on the minors. We should make the most important things the most important things. And we should make the things that are less important, we should make them less important. And sometimes we get those out of whack. And we make things that are not near as important the most important thing. I can't believe they wore shorts into church. Okay, I don't know. Or whatever that minor thing is. Sometimes we make that the most important thing. But sometimes we make things that are most important the least important thing. And this is a warning to these people to major on the majors and minor on the minors. They were meticulous about tithing. And they were meticulous about making sure that if they got some mint that week, that 10% of it went to the church. And Jesus tells them that they should do this. He says, don't neglect that. But they have made, whether they tied mint and their herbs, the most important thing. And if somebody hadn't done that, they were looking down on them with judgment. And he tells them, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, or you've neglected justice and the love of God. The warning for us is that we should keep those things that are primary, primary, and keep the things that are secondary, secondary. Now, Micah 6.8 tells us this. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. They needed to hear that. That the most important thing is not whether 10% of your mint made it into the offering plate that week. The most important thing was whether you loved God and you loved neighbor. Whether you were fair in your dealings with people that week. He says, my people matter more than the mint. Okay? My people matter more than that. And he's warning them that you're so focused on all these little rules you've made up that you've neglected people. Look at verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. 
The third warning to the Pharisees is for them to avoid the uh, showy, doing good works in order to be seen by others. Doing their, their religious practice and doing their, their any good work, making sure that everybody knew about it. They had this insatiable desire to be seen, to be honored, to be respected, to be praised because of their position and because of what they did for God. They, they needed this. It had become an idol in their lives that I, I need you to praise me because I'm doing all this good stuff for God. And Jesus tells them that this is wrong. Spiritual leadership is not about position. It's not about doing something in front of other people. It's about humility. And every single one of us is tempted to this as well. You know, God forbid if you have a Facebook, right? Uh, if you have a social media where it's so easy to post about a good work or to post about something that you did. We're tempted to get our, our glory and our, and our purpose from what we did and, and people's response to that instead of just blessing someone else. Jesus tells us in other places to not even let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. To keep it hidden. It's not a big deal. No one needs to know. He says that if we do our good deeds to be seen by men, then we have received our reward. That's it. There is nothing else. It's fleeting. And so he tells them, you're so concerned about how people perceive you and whether they saw you do that thing or not. He says, I'm warning you. Come back to the middle. Come back to the middle. Come back and walk with God. Away from that. Away from being motivated by self and being in, instead being motivated by loving others. Verse 44. He says, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Uh, the fourth warning to these Pharisees is to recognize where their hearts are dead and not alive. Uh, in the Matthew passage, this woe, he says, woe to you because you are whitewashed tombs. We talked about it in middle school this morning, what that means. That the, it's clean on the outside, but what is it full of? Death. Brokenness. Death. There's nothing good on the inside. It looks real pretty on the outside. And so Jesus says here, you're like unmarked graves. He's calling them dead. He's saying you're spiritually dead. And because they're unmarked, that means that people walk over them. And people were, and in their view, if you walked near or close to a dead body, then you were defiled. You were unclean. And so what he's saying is, because of how you've lived your life as a leader, as a, as a guide, you have hurt other people. Because you are dead. He's saying... Um, because of your leadership, because of how you've affected other people around you, it's led them to death because you are spiritually dead. You're exposing others to the same thing that you are. And so Jesus is warning them as teachers, as leaders in, in their communities. You're standing up and you're proclaiming all of this and you're living out all the external stuff and the heart's not right. And that is infecting Every person that's following you. Jesus is warning those of us who are leaders and teachers and parents and bosses that the people that we're around, we are affecting. We are influencing. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are right. Uh, 
James warns us, James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's not a great verse to read when we need teachers in the church. <laughs> but it's true. He's warning us that if you're going to step into a leadership position, whether that's in your family or in the church or wherever, be careful because you're going to influence others and you're going to impact others. And so Jesus is warning us, watch your life. Look at verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. <laughs> so there's some, te there's some lawyers there. Uh, I'm not going to call out Lauren Lowe. I just did. Sorry. Uh, this has nothing to do with you. At this dinner, there's Pharisees, but then there's some lawyers, and this lawyer stands up, Jesus, you're offending us. You're insulting us too. And Jesus doesn't apologize. He doubles down. He says, woe to you lawyers. And here's what he says. These are spiritual leaders just like the Pharisees. The fifth warning to these religious leaders is not to put impossible burdens you see, see, what they had done is they had taken God's law and they had taken the goodness of it and the rightness of it and, and the life that's in it and they had added all these other things to it and they had made those things the most important. They had made their rules more important than the goodness of God's law. And, and he says it was an impossible burden for them to bear. The amount of rules, the amount of uh, ways to wash your hand, places you could go, couldn't go, things you could touch, couldn't touch. It was an impossible standard for them. They had added to the Word of God and had made following God a burden, not freeing. Jesus came to set us free. He fulfilled the law where we could not. He was perfect when none of us could be. And so today, we are not bound by laws and rules and obligations. Walking with Jesus is meant to be life-giving. It's meant to be freeing, not a burden to bear. And so if you view it today that this is about keeping all the rules, doing all the things, checking all the boxes, I'm sorry, but that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is about freedom and is about mercy because he has kept all the rules. Because he was perfect when we could not be. And God forgive us as leaders if we ever put burdens on people because we think it's gotta be, you got to do all these things. If you're not doing all these things. No, no. We have been set free. We've been set free from the rules of trying to earn God's favor and, and please him. See, Jesus says this in Matthew 11 verse 28. He says, come to me, all who, are all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is not adding a burden on you today that you've got to measure up. You've got to do all these things to prove how good you are, how right you are. No, Jesus says, come to me. I know you already have those. Lay them at my feet. I came to give you rest. 
rest. Look at verse 47. says, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. And he goes on, and he talks about how, how they have all, that, that, that all of that is going to be charged on this generation. And look at verse 52. He says, woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Both of these woes have to do with rejecting God's word. See, God had sent all these prophets. God had sent all these people to try to, bring, to, try to warn them, to try to bring them out of the ditch, back into the way, to try to draw them out of where they are in their sin and draw them back to repentance. And what had they done as a people forever? They had rejected and killed them over and over and over again. And so Jesus is warning them. He's warning them to stop uh, rejecting God's word, to stop changing it, to stop uh, misteaching it. There's a whole bunch we could apply here. But these people are supposed to be giving God's word to God's people, teaching them the good way, teaching them the path to life. And instead, they've, they've hard-heartedly rejected it. And then they've twisted it for their own gain. And if you teach God's Word in any capacity, whether it's to kids, whether it's to your family, whether it's to a church, whether it's, I don't know. And hear this warning. Don't use this for your own good. Don't use this for your own gain. Don't use this to, to, to hurt people and to mistreat people. This is a warning that we are to present God's word to God's people, whether that's little kids in the nursery on a Sunday morning or whether that's senior adults or whether that's youth or whatever, that we, are to, that we believe that what, what is good for us is to know God's word, to know God through his word. And so... These people are taking it and they're twisting it and they're making it their own and they're, they're using it for their own advantage and Jesus warns them. And he's warning us that we don't minimize truth. We stand strong on truth, but we don't twist it for our own good. Look at verse 53. And he says, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. I've been to some awkward dinner parties before. This one feels like it might top any of those. He gets invited over for dinner, and he spends the whole time telling them how no, warning them, drawing them back, calling out their sin. Of course he left and they're trying to get him. Of course he left because he has provoked them. And what he has provoked in them is their hard heart. He's provoked the hardness of their heart in them. And they are even more so hardening their hearts. And they're trying to find a way to get at him. They're trying to find a, some loophole, some, some way. But ultimately, this is because they do not believe in his word. Hebrews 3, verse 12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a wicked heart of unbelief that turns away from the living God. 
but exhort one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think that verse sums up what we need here today from this passage. And honestly, I think this just hit me. As I was standing up here uh, singing this morning, I'm going to be honest, don't really feel good today. Don't really feel energetic. Don't really feel real passionate. Feel kind of tired. And as I stood, stood there, I'm like, okay, all right, a couple more songs. Okay, then it's time. As I stood there, what I hear is I hear hundreds of people behind me singing about the goodness of God exhorting me, exhorting every one of us to love and good deeds. It's why we come together weekly, because we're so prone to forget. We're so prone to wander off on the path, and we need to come together and, and hear a word like this of warning. Go, hey, come back. Hey, come back. Hey, this is not about doing all the right things. Hey, Jesus has done all of this. I need to hear that from you. And we do that when we sing. We do that when we go to groups. We do that when we preach. And that's the point this morning. Be careful that there's not an unbelieving heart. And exhort one another. I needed to be exhorted today. I needed to be encouraged. So thank you for that. And that's why we come together as a church. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning that... Um, God, you would just fill us up with encouragement. You'd fill us up with the good news, God, that you loved us despite us. God, you, that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've veered off the path, God, you, like a loving father, want to see us return, want to see us drawn back to you. And so I thank you that through the singing this morning, through your word, through groups, through friendships, through relationships, God, that, that you draw us back uh, to yourself, God. I pray that we would hear these warnings and we would respond, God, when we're in the wrong, that we would repent and turn back to you. When we're, where we've made ourselves the, the center of all things, that we would repent of that and we'd make you the center of all things. Where we've tried to glorify ourselves or make things about us, God, may, may, may that be put off and may this all be about you. So we love you this morning, God. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.